are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 454 aka year nine week 30 man it's going by so quick uh coming at you this week as always i'm your host mr richie rich along with mc and since this is your live saturday broadcast we're here on the old clubhouse uh the club is the anarchist experience you can at me at riches for rich um, add me as a friend or whatever, and then when we do the live show, I will click the little invite button uh, to make sure you're notified uh, of the live show. Um, we have someone in the chat, uh, uh, in the guest room or whatever, in the clubhouse right now listening, uh, so I won't say names, but welcome. I don't think I've ever seen you in there before. Uh, hope you enjoy. If not, whatever. Uh, what is going on with you this week, MC? Uh, not a whole lot. i gotten a little... Uh rant on facebook talking about Karl marx again goddamn commies that's always a fun conversation they're always on facebook pitching their communist ideals no go ahead yeah 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 so ba- basically um i got to the point where um and i and i like talking on, on you know any any social platform because it it helps me learn stuff and it and it helps me uh articulate my arguments better so anyway tell me what sharpening you think. sharpening your tools <laughs> i get to the point where i'm like okay here's here's your simple test uh to know if Karl marx is right or wrong and so the, the question is uh centralize everything or decentralize everything okay and of course if you read the communist manifesto it says centralize everything including the means of communication, <laughs> you know. It's like, okay. What the hell? <laughs> like, who would want that? Besides, Everyone must comments. use the rotary <laughs> telephone. Yeah. So immediately, I thought, well, we should, you know, if if Marx was here, he'd be like, yeah, um, we should make the government take over Twitter again, and uh, and 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 eliminate all the other forms of communication. Only you can only communicate on a centralized platform. That wouldn't even be Twitter. Well, whatever. Yeah, I know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but uh, so I was, ex- you know, I don't know what I was expecting. I was I, sometimes I expect these people to go away. No, they don't he go came, away. This, he came, this is their... he came back with with explanations of the teachings of Karl Marx. I'm like social media is their like, safe space. That sounds like a whole bunch of extra steps. It's just a whole bunch of complicated extra steps to centralize everything and and take away your ability to think. Um, so, well, that's what, what I, they what want. I, thinking is hard. They just want to be told what to do. <laughs> thinking is hard. So I'll read something that doesn't make sense. Well, because it makes sense was, to them. If you don't apply critical thinking to it. So I was trying to explain to them 
like the and and so where my argument comes from now uh my my grand argument uh is is that Karl Marx his whole reasoning and the and the reason why it sounds like gibberish or should anyway word salad is that uh he uses the dialectic reasoning method to come okay. up with stuff did we talk about and this before that sounds familiar i'm i'm pretty sure i've mentioned it okay. before but that's that's my whole stick here right now is is uh the the whole the whole reasoning method is flawed and it allows karl marx to come up with words and apply them in a way that he sees fit but what actually it does is it doesn't add anything to the conversation it confuses it and so you can't you can't study karl marx and then talk to a normal person living a normal life uh and and have it um you can't have it come to some reasonable conclusion the person will have to make up stuff in their head what these words mean or really study Karl Karl Marx to figure out what is this utopia that is waiting for us um so it's very deceiving is my point okay because the language is purposely deceiving and it's made up gibberish and and it's wrong so that's anyway that was my my rant I probably okay. said it a little bit different when I was typing it, but let me. Well, I I have a question for you. Do you think that the people that you are arguing with on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, um, have actually read the Communist Manifesto? Well, the one guy I was arguing with, yes, he's he's read the manifesto and he's he said he's studied Karl Marx and, and okay. all of his writings and and he fought, found them to be interesting. And and my thing is, every time I read something from him, I'm I'm mystified. It's like, wow, people find this impressive. Right. So I will admit that that is one of the, the I did not read the Communist Manifesto. Um, but I did read, um, oh, what were the two? Uh, Property is Theft and the Conquest of Bread, or whatever, you know, what, um, Proudhon and, and Kropotkin, long time ago. And I, I found it to be equally difficult to comprehend. And... I attribute that to the writing, maybe the translation, because I'm not dumb. I comprehend lots of other things quite easily. Yeah. So yeah. it's easy. I'll, I will blame them very, you know, very easily. But I, what 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 I see, I guess, through social media, um, is people running with the ideas uh, from the book rather than having read the book itself. Sure. Right. Like you most know, people. Yeah. Right. There's there's like the tenets of communism, you know, as laid out in the Communist Manifesto, and no one reads the Communist Manifesto. They read the ten tenets, you know, mm-hmm. and then that they they base their they base their opinions and arguments on that as opposed to first hand knowledge of the words in the book, or even second hand okay. knowledge because probably translated right because it wasn't I don't know what language it was initially written in. Um, so that's one thing. Secondary to that, um, as as the United States government uh, fucks things up even further economically, I am more sympathetic to a lot of the people pitching the ideas of communism and socialism. I don't think they're right, 
right? But I don't, I, I think that their reasoning behind it um, is a search for their own personal liberty and justice that they're not getting in the current economic environment. Does that make sense? Yes. Like they're, it's like saying this, this system, all the bad stuff is to be blamed on, you know, whatever it is. And, and once we get rid of that, everything will be good. Well, and, and they're partially right. Once we get rid of this system, we will be good unless we move to something well, worse. Except they're saying they're, they're making up a word, capitalism. They're blaming it on that. Yeah, no, I get it. But the, the fundamentally, like where they lay the blame is not important. It's, it's how the system is treating them, right? Like, you know, we, we, um, we have disagreed on this show regarding the, uh, the absolution of the student loans, right? The, the libertarian position is you took out the loan, you pay it back, right? And I went, I don't care at this point because the, you know, the, the United States government is devaluing the dollar so harshly that there's no way that the people who owe the loans are getting the value that they anticipated when they took out the loan. So if you're going to, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to get some value back in terms of a refund, you know, like I don't care enough to like to, to put that on their shoulders. Uh, and so the same with like the communists and the socialists, right? They, they're, they're trying to get ahead in what they perceive to be a capitalist system unsuccessfully as most people are at this point, right? And they go, well, the, the only way for me to get ahead is to collectivize, right, and to use use the power of numbers to take over the system, right? And then the system will be for all of us, not just the greedy capitalists. And then I'll be able to get ahead, right? And they're, they're wrong uh, on the second part, but right on the first part. Like the, the current system holds a lot of people back, again, because the dollar is constantly devalued. You know, I, I, <laughs> uh, a couple of things came up over the last couple of weeks and, you know, who am I to like not share it with people who ought know better? Um, there was an article, I don't know if we covered it, that said uh, between 2021 and now, um, to maintain your same standard of living, you have to be making $11,000 more than you were. Yeah, in, at least. At least. On average, right? So some places it's worse, some places it's less, but on average... You know, so I did the math, and for a wage earner, that's a $5.28 raise. Like, if you're not making $5.28 more than you were in 2021, you are now living yeah. a less, uh, you know, a less productive life, right? I've, your your standard living has a, decreased. Go ahead. Yeah, on average, oh. you're probably right, but uh, a lot of people are in a situation where they are not in an average position. For example... Uh, somebody that's never owned a home before trying to buy a house. Um, so what's happened in the last few years, if, if you get on any of these realtor websites and you look at the prices of houses, uh, a couple years ago, uh, they were half as much. I know. So if you look at all, only, if you only look at houses that were sold in the last, uh, that, that were sold in like 2019 and then compare that price to the, the current price that, that it's selling for, uh, it's double. <laughs> like, yeah. It's what? <laughs> you, double is way more than you know uh, the 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 five percent or the or 
yeah. know, whatever numbers you're, you know, the 10 grand uh, a year, because if you buy a house, then that's, that's it's just way more. <laughs> we, we won't get too intimate with this because it hurts me to bring it up. And, but you are, you are personally familiar um, with my house buying tragedy, right? Sure. Like I was in the market two and a half years ago to buy a house, right? With an ex. Uh, and, you know, she, at the time, she was not convinced that we needed to buy a house. And I said at the time, like, this is the moment, right? <laughs> we, we have to get in now. It's going to get fucked real soon. And if we miss the window, the, that window's not coming around anytime soon. So we, you know, begged, borrowed, and stole to figure out a way to get into, you know, a house that was suitable, you know, because she didn't want just any old house, right? Like, you know, she she had standards, and every time she, you know, found a new standard, the price of the house went up or the value of the house went up on what we were fucking looking at. Um, and instead of buying a house, we broke up. And as, as noted, MC, uh, prices have doubled since then. So what would have what would have cost us, you know, whatever at the time is now valued at twice. And and that could have been ours. We could have been in there locked in at that price, at that rate, right? Paying it off now, whatever, figuring that out, but it was it was feasible at the time. Like it was we weren't going to like be underwater on it. Um but but now like i'm individually priced out of a mobile home and the only the only solace i take i was talking to uh someone about and they're like well what you need to do is find owner financing someone who doesn't really need the money but can help you out I'm like well that's not fucking easy to find <laughs> yeah but that's it like that's you know i'm i'm trapped in this renter cycle there's a house like that right next to me right now and and they're uh they're doing the owner financing thing is okay. It's really low, you know, 4% financing, but they're also asking 1.2 million for the house. And it's like, eh, <laughs> you're not right. really helping me out here. <laughs> well, that's, that's the market value now, man. Like, well, you know, <laughs> but you know, I, I, and I have, I have uh, realtor Facebook friends. Right. And so I, I see home prices, you know, mostly in Hawaii, but, Occasionally at like California, Arizona, because, you know, of how I met them, um, New Hampshire, right? And, you know, I, I see what they're asking for, you know, oh, check out this nice, like, one-bedroom condo, you know, only asking $850. i am like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? And, and like, they, you know, it's, it's their job, right? So they don't see a problem with that. But, yeah. you know. Wages in Hawaii aren't that great. They're fucking around with the minimum wage there too. the The minimum wage is so high in Hawaii that in the position that I'm in, um, we can't even hire remote workers in Hawaii because we'd have to pay Hawaii minimum wage, and they're not worth it for the job that we have available. You know, like there's there's a handful of like do not call uh, states when hiring. Uh, you know, Hawaii, uh, ironically, all around us, like Hawaii. Maine, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, California. Like we, we cannot hire people in those states because the starting wage is, is lower than the minimum wage in those states. Right on. And but but the but that doesn't like 
push wages up where the average worker in Hawaii, right, is going to be able to afford, you know, an $850,000 starter condo, right? That's not happening. Uh, but like I said, you know, even, even the, I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's try to get out of the apartment and into something. I don't know what that something is, but let's, let's fucking get out of here and then reassess later, right? People buy and sell houses all the time. Let's figure this out. Um, and mobile, like I swear to God, like mobile home is on the cusp now for what's affordable. So you, you recall what we could have been in, um, two years ago and then downgrade that to mobile home is, you know, my, my personal situation. So to tie this back in, right, I am sympathetic with the communists and the socialists on social media, um, because they're worse off than I am. Like, I don't even have it bad. Like, I'm, I'm on, like, on the low side of average around here, mostly because I have a bad attitude um, and, a, you know, problem with authority uh, and limitations on work that I can and cannot do. But either way, like, I, I know I'm not the worst off around here. The impossible. So I, I see, you know, the, the people on social media, Facebook, and their calls for uh, more government intervention because they've misplaced their blame on the rich, right? They've misplaced their blame on the capitalist system, um, but they're just seeking a way out and up. And if you know, if you can, what what would be incumbent upon us is to recognize their goals and to align that with like a a proper strategy to get there, as opposed to you know. Communism fails, you moron. Like you know, like I said, I'm I'm sympathetic. I'm they're just wrong. I don't mind telling them they're wrong, but I also you know the 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 end goals are similar, um, and that's just better standard of living for themselves and the people they care about. Right? It's noble in its pursuit, just misguided in its efforts. Anything else? I don't know about noble, but um, well, okay, well, noble in the pursuit of wanting to do better than their current lot in life, right? Like I, I can get behind that because that's what I'm trying to do, and that's what most people are trying to do. We just have different strategies on how to get there. I'm not saying steal from the rich; they are, right? But wanting to be better, wanting to be better off than you currently are, I will stand by as a noble pursuit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's. That's that's pretty much everybody, even rich people, want to be better off than they are. So, yeah, and 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 the only problem that the current lack of a lot of poor's and communists have is they think that they're going to get there by taking over the government and stealing from the rich, <clears throat> and that's that's the mentality that has to be like realigned with purpose as you're arguing with them on social media. Or just call them a fucking commie and tell them to burn in hell and, you know, leave it at that. Yeah, too. I mean, that that's fun, too. But um, I guess my, my my problem is with uh, specifically in that, in that conversation I was having was with the intellectuals that try to uh, explain away all the horrible things Marx is by saying, oh, but didn't you know this? This is complicated. Didn't you, you know... <laughs> Like this is this is all really deep stuff. And I'm like, I don't see it, man. I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you know, you, you argue with them on social media. I argue with my boss at work. Um, 
And, you know, this this week I flat out called him a hypocrite, you know, because he was, you know, he he called for like some some sort of something going on in Russia or whatever. He was like, oh, we just got to like, I I forget what he said. Um, oh, he want he wanted to like stop uh, stop the uh, the reliance on foreign oil, right? Like if if we if we, you know we'll starve them out if we're not buying their oil from them, you know? <laughs> okay. and uh, that well, that'll somebody really else stick will. it to them. What's that? Somebody else will. Correct. I but, mean, Europe was buying Russian gas uh, until the Nord Stream got blown up. <laughs> right. But you know, I said, you know, I'm I'm tired of having this conversation with you, man, because like at this point, all you do is like reek of hypocrisy. You know, sure. you on the one side of your mouth, you want all these bad things to happen to the America's enemies, right? And on the other hand, you're like, oh, this soft little Baptist preacher, you know, preaching about peace and camaraderie and getting along with each other, and you can't <laughs> figure out how to fucking reconcile the two, you know? Well, yeah, it's it's easy uh, to just say well of course they're they're enemies of course they should die a horrible death <laughs> yeah no i get it but that's you know that's why i call i i really did like i said you're a hypocrite you know like, <laughs> i'm not i'm no longer worried about getting fired um for uh for other reasons but you know i'm sure. like you you have to reconcile this because of the two of us in this room having this conversation right i am the one who doesn't want uh there to be like violence in the system Right, even if you go back to the founders, which weren't even your fucking founders, because you're Canadian, right? <laughs> like entangling alliances with none, peace and trade with all entangling alliances with none. That's it, right? Like that's that's the whole thing. Stop getting involved in these other, in, you know, in these entangling alliances that are hurting, you know, everyone domestically. And then you know it went into more, and you know he got into like the what about the roads thing. I go, really? Like, are we really going to have this part of the conversation again? Because I really, like, at this point, you bring it up as this, like, gotcha question or exercise where, like, I'm on the hook to solve every problem that you can't creatively figure out on your own, right? And then we play this back and forth, but but what about this? But what about this? I'm like, how about this? You be creative for a change, right? You figure out. Give me one good way that you can have, like, existing roads without threatening people with violence, go you know i just i turned it around on him he was like i don't think you can i go but be creative like think of something and he went into like how he couldn't even get his three daughters to agree to go to some place for lunch and they ended up not going or i go like completely different but fine right you know if you were better at being you know if you were better at doing what you're doing you would have figured out how to get people in alignment right because what i do know is that nobody on the block wants to pay a toll at their neighbor's property line Right, that was his big thing. So if everyone owns the road, you're going to be paying a toll at every property line. I go no, because nobody fucking wants that. Right, the neighbors will likely agree not to put a toll in front of each other's property line. And when you get to the guy who does, you go around him, right, and then you block him in for being a dickhead. Right, you just he's not allowed. Right, you, you the, the the last neighbor there, uh, you know, right before his toll booth puts up their toll booth. Right, and only charges him a toll for access to the rest of the community and see how long it takes for his toll booth to come down. Right, like that's you know, you can handle the dickheads, even Molyneux when he was when he was doing his good stuff. 
right? Had the philosophy of just don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. You know, if you, if you want to, if you want to get along with your neighbors, just don't be a dick. Now they're going to be some dickhead neighbors, right? Let them be over there. You don't have to associate with them. You don't have to let them on your property. You don't have to go on their property because most people want to get along. And so you can go around the dickheads probably quite easily and block them in for being a dickhead because if we're going to have private property, that's how that's going to work, right? Oh, but he's rich and he can fly a helicopter and go wherever he wants. Then fine, right? Privileges of being rich. You can have your own private fucking helicopter and go wherever you want. We're still going to go around him, and I still reject the violence that you want to use to steal his property so that you can take a shorter route to wherever it is you're going, right? That's the fundamental thing. You want to use violence to compel his action. I don't want to do that. And you're supposed to be the religious Baptist preacher, you know, whatever, and yet here you are. And then we got into, like, the whole render onto Caesar thing. He's like, well, my interpretation is that means paying taxes. I'm like, well, I have a different inter- I have a different interpretation. Um, and so we ended the we ended the argument, and I sent him a link to the different interpretation, which he likely didn't read because yeah, it would like make his head explode. There, there's a few interpretations of that. <laughs> well, again, it's the Bible. You can take whatever interpretation you want, right? But but I would have to say it definitely does not mean pay your taxes. That's what that's his interpretation. So so my interpretation is that well uh Caesar's head is on all the money. So does that mean it's all Caesar's? No, that it's question all, all gods. Cuz everything is gods if you believe it. Go ahead. No, but Caesar's has his name on it, so is is it his? And that that was the question laid before the the Jesus ta- uh, tax collector tax collector no, Jesus made that question to the to the tax collectors uh and 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 so they would have to think about something like well yeah he's right all all of the money if if we want it we could just take all of it so how much do you want (laughs) you know and so uh he he was he was to me he was basically making the, the claim that um that nobody owes it to him it's up to caesar to come get it, so it's an it's a it's a an authoritarian. He, he's he's calling out the authoritarians in the room, saying, "Hey, it's obviously, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's his money if if he wants it, like, <laughs> yeah, I I, if, if, I see it. If if the authority comes and says, "Hey, give me all the money," it's like, okay, but it's useless to us now if we if nobody has any money nobody can get anything done you won't get any more you'll just you'll just have a whole bunch of money who cares you'll have it all yeah <laughs> we'll find another way to trade and that's fine yeah. too we'll go we'll yeah. start with back with barter and work around you hashtag but, hashtag uh uh religious bitcoin but but to me it was just calling out the authority yeah again i'm not i you know there's there's multiple interpretations um my interpretation from what I've read and, you know, from the information that I sent the boss, um, it was part of a tax protest because they were debasing the currency anyway. And if you believe that all things in the realm uh, belong to God, right, then how can Caesar have a higher claim to that coin than God? If you believe that sort of thing. Right. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. Everything is God's. Therefore, nothing is Caesar's. Therefore, you ought not have to pay this back to Caesar regardless of whose face is on it. 
All right. But as part, it was like, you know, again, from what I've read, it was part of a tax protest because they were debasing the currency anyway. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of historic, uh, you know, real historical parallels around the time that that story would have taken place. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I send the boss the link, right? And it's like a 40 minute read if he wants to like really deep dive into it. Um, I doubt he will because then again, like everything he's taught in Bible college just goes up in smoke. You know, everything he tried to pass on to people as a, as a, as a uh, Baptist pastor, right? Goes up in smoke because you were, you were, you know, and I, I told him that too. I'm like, you know, there are more books outside the Bible. You should read one, you know, like not every, the Bible doesn't contain everything. There are other ways to get to these, you know, to get to these things rather than like, you know, the, the biblical parallel or the big biblical prophecy. Cause every, every problem that he's encountered is like, well, you know what the biblical teaching is, don't you? Like, no, cause that's dumb. <laughs> Like I'm familiar with a lot of it because I was raised, you know, I was raised Catholic, and I kept the stuff that makes sense, and I rejected most of the other nonsense. But I'm I'm familiar with the quotes that you should be living by, and like you know, wanting wanting to hurt your neighbor, right, rather than trade with them, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, or Taiwan, or Pakistan, or Afghanistan, or China, or whatever, seems dumb, right? Just trade. If you trade, it's a win-win. If you go to war, it's win-lose at best, but most likely lose-lose. And you keep pitching for this idea of lose-lose. And I'm trying to get you over to win-win. But it's frustrating because you're a hypocrite. Moving on? Moving on. Headlines, I guess, unless you got more. Do you got more? Nope. All right. Headline, Al Gore warns people having access to non-mainstream information threatens democracy. Man, I missed the cough button, but I couldn't hold it back. Uh, headline, New Hampshire's Lesson for America. Headline, The Anatomy of a Statist. Headline, Are Nation-State Governments All Following a Genocide Agenda? And finally, headline, Why Are U.S. Politicians Afraid of Chinese Garlic? <laughs> why, why are Chinese? All what, right. what is wrong with Chinese garlic? Let's, let's talk about it. We'll get into that one. Why are U.S. politicians afraid of Chinese garlic? Oh, also, if you weren't aware, like Alex Jones is back on Twitter slash X. So I immediately gave him a follow. Um, not that I read, you know, everything he posts or not that I'm on Twitter very, very often. His videos are, are often uh, a little a little bit filled with uh, too too much. And it's like, yeah, I get, get it. to the point, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's got to fill like a four-hour radio show or whatever it is, so I can, under- <laughs> yeah. I can understand well, one, a little bit of filler. The one, the first one he posted on X was like two and a half hours, and it's it's just a lot to get through, especially with his voice, you know. Okay, it's like, yeah, no, I get it. Get- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not I, saying you I, have to, but he's there, and you know, against against the normal mainstream media, right? You know, it's like it's Alex Jones, so take it with a grain of salt, but on a long enough horizon. You know, Alex Jones was right. Like a lot, a lot of his crackpot oh. uh, predictions were actually there's there's nuggets of truth in there. So since we're going down this road, the the okay. one little thing that that I saw f- from his uh, highlight or whatever was okay. So the deep state has different layers and different uh, you know multitudes of different organizations, and one Gotta of them peel it was back like the, an onion. 
One of them was like the mad scientist group in the Pentagon or something like that. All right. Anyway, I don't know how true it is, but it's it's funny that this stuff is coming out. And so now now there's like whistleblowers and stuff trying to uh, get on different TV shows and ex- explain how how deep the rabbit hole goes and how many organizations are you know using taxpayer dollars to come up with stuff to sure mess with people. We're we're about and, to go uh, into a Chinese article, uh, you know the the whole Wuhan flu, like the COVID nineteen thing, right? Secret bioweapon lab run by the United States and China. A few weeks ago, there was a headline, an article about like a secret Chinese medical facility in like the the western desert of the United States, right? And uh, you know, I I was like, well, that's probably hogwash because they can do so much more in China. Right, like that's that's why we went to China to do all the stuff that was illegal to do in the United States. Right, you that's, think you think the lab that they just found is hogwash? No, I don't. Not saying that's hogwash. I'm what I'm saying is, like it's it's whatever they're doing in there, right? They're doing far worse elsewhere. Oh, okay. Right, it's it's not like some secret Chinese conspiracy to you know take over the United States by running a secret lab here. Because if they re- if they wanted to do that sort of research, number one, they can do it in China. They can do more in oh, China. Oh, I don't. I don't think the lab in the U.S. the the one run by like the one guy was uh, a research lab. I think they were. It was a manufacturing lab. Well, even worse then, right? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so they're they're trying to make as much Ebola and, and coronavirus as they can in case they want to release it someday. <laughs> well, and and th- again, that's the other point. Even if that's what they're doing there, right? Like we already we already know that they have the means to spread it even if the lab is in China. So having having that lab set up in the United States is you know it is it a conspiracy theory sure but I don't think I don't think it's as bad as you know the conspiracy theories are making it out to be. Right? You, you, I'm, you, I'm confused by all that but there, there's a whole bunch of facts that happen not not theories but also but you don't think um, that they could do that in China and then release it in the United States it has to be manufactured here. They can't import like a. They can't import Ebola like they imported a Toyota. It's got to be yeah, built I think, here. I, I, I think it can, but that's not the point. The, the point is that they, they're willing to build a lab here and do and do it secretly. Yeah, but I'm. Well, yes, and I don't think that. I don't think that having it here is is the is any, any more shocking than doing it there. Yeah. Like I don't care where they're doing it. I don't know. We already I th- know they think can release it here. I think it's kind of ballsy. <laughs> All right, maybe and maybe even nonsensical. Like, why would you do that? But <laughs> well, that's the other cra- part of it. They're crazy enough to do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, again, it matters. You know, the fact that they're doing it is already out in the open, right? The, the fact that they have it here is a who cares in my book because they've okay. already because you can already do more there. Right in China or anywhere else in the world with less restrictions, if you're trying to like, you know, follow the law while you're building bioweapons, uh, and they they already know how to transport that stuff overseas. It's it's not like that, you know, that Ground Zero is going to be the Colorado Laboratory, right, or wherever you know, wherever it was, right. It could be, but even then, it doesn't have to be. Like if they wanted to release it in the United States, they would get it from China or wherever the lab happened to be, Canada, Mexico, Ecuador, don't care, right? And they would have just as easy a time of releasing it in the United States as they would releasing it from the current manufacturing lab that's here. Okay. All right. 
Why are U.S. politicians afraid of Chinese garlic? Uh, fear is Washington's go-to for the centralization of power, so it gets evoked at every opportunity. Florida Senator Rick Scott was recently ridiculed online after saying that Chinese imports of garlic to the United States are a national security threat. It may sound funny, but it is in fact common for American politicians uh, to make such claims about any and all things coming from China, no matter how ridiculous. There have been numerous examples, including a balloon fridge, uh, including a balloon fridges, that's weird, uh, coffee machines, cranes, electric cars, subway cars, students, Confucius Institutes, Huawei, and TikTok, uh, the list goes on and on. Rather than being something bizarre, it is in fact the norm for American senators, amongst others, to do this. In one way or another, everything from China is linked back to a malign way, in a malign way to a Communist Party conspiracy, and there's no room for normality. To understand why this is, one must recognize that American politics operates fundamentally on the medium of fear. The U.S. is a massive federalist democracy with over 300 million people living across very diverse regions and with polarized worldviews. The Constitution entrenches this structure. Once upon a time, the states held more power and autonomy than they have today. However, the Civil War and its consequences produced a political trajectory which leaned towards the centralization of executive power by various means. This trend continued into the 20th century, and the significant influences upon it were World Wars I and II, as well as the Great Depression. When facing such challenges, how do you keep your country together? Not only by legal centralization, as per the expansion of federal authority brought about in Roosevelt's New Deal, but through, also through the evocation of fear to maintain unity and conformity in a nation which has always been, and especially today, bitterly divided. Thus, starting with World War II and the expansion of radio and television technology, the U.S. began to intensify its propaganda apparatus to be able to solidify support for its foreign policies. Therefore, from the Cold War onward, the weaponization of fear became the primary American tool to legitimize its foreign policy objectives and enforce unity even amidst contentious debate at home. The first notable expression of this was the McCarthyist era and the Red Scare. American officials learned to weaponize, exaggerate, and use irrational fear to enforce loyalty to the state by creating wild conspiracy theories of infiltration and subversion. They also used this to close down the political debate and stifle dissent, with the degree of paranoia uh, weaponized to prevent criticism, often by accusing the critic of being compromised by the adversary or inauthentic in some way. The weaponization of fear in this sense is deployed to manufacture consent for aggressive policies and scare the public into supporting them. For example, the most famous modern instance of fear weaponization was the bogus claim that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction to justify the invasion of Iraq. The current U.S. foreign policy priority in Beijing and Washington subsequently returns to using anti-communist paranoia to discredit anything Chinese that arrives in America. Washington's grievances with Beijing are economic and trade-related, and as a result, American politicians use the language of national security threats to evoke fear over various Chinese products they dislike. Usually, this is done by linking the product in question to spying in some absurdist way, uh, though in the case of garlic, 
Senator Scott at least chose a more plausible avenue of attack, speaking out about uh, trade rules enforcement and a severe public health concern stemming from China's allegedly unsanitary growth practices. Whatever the specific accusation, the end goal of such fear-mongering is to forcibly exclude the target product from the American market and then convince allies to do the same. This is most notable in the treatment of Huawei's participation in Western 5G networks. Huawei was accused without any substantial evidence of being a security risk and spying on behalf of China. Per the American way, the accusation is repeated again and again, and then the establishment media serves as uh, serve a functioning of parroting that claims uncritically by conveying it as unbiased concerns without touching upon the true motive. It turns public opinion against the target and secures the desired foreign policy outcomes. Calling garlic, of all things, a national security threat has been deservedly laughed at, therefore revealing the limitations of such hysteria-inducing tactics. Scott's obvious real motive was to push for eliminating Chinese agricultural goods to protect American producers. To some extent, successive presidential administrations have been doing the same, though their usual angle was forced labor as they attempted to weaponize human rights against goods like tomatoes or cotton from Xinjiang. However, the sheer nonsense of Scott's comments only served to show how paranoia in U.S. politics is deliberately opportunistic opportunistic, and rarely ever based on facts. The U.S. sees fear as a very powerful weapon and tool of persuasion to push conformity and unity in an otherwise bitterly divided political order with a constitutionally limited central authority, and it works. Uh, end of the article. So there you go. Be afraid, MC, of the, of the import of Chinese garlic. Now it's filled with lead and bleach. Terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Chinese, Chinese products. That was, uh, again, part, that was part of a lesser discussion that I was having with the boss. And it was basically like, you know, uh, Chinese manufacturing is up to speed because American imports went there or American businesses went there um, and built up the industry for them. I don't know how much truth there is in that, but that was the claim. Right? They had everything locked down. Americans saw an opportunity. And when China let the American businesses in to, you know, open up the manufacturing plants, that's, you know, the, the hope, the goal of the Americans at the time, or at least the American political class, was to open up China to the Western ways, um, and instead it was all usurped by the communist governments, allegedly. Sure. Yeah, China's really suffering right now. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff happening there. Um, I assume it's all government-induced as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, same old stuff. Um, just one, one bad move after another. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, when something goes bad, what do you do? Oh, you, you, you get a bigger hammer. It's like, no, the hammer didn't work last time. <laughs> when brute force doesn't work, try brute force. Yeah. Odd, oddly enough, you know, I, I fall prey to that because I just like smashing things in general. Yeah, I like mean, personally. if that's what you want to do is smash it. Yeah. Um, Eventually, somebody's going to smash the, the Communist Party, I think. I don't know. Um, really? You think? Is it... If you had to take a guess, you know, if, if you care to take a guess, like, what do you think is, is it going to take in China for that particular government apparatus to fall? Well, obviously, it has to be a revolution of the people. 
Um, sure. But, I mean, much like here, um, they make examples of, like, the, you know, the sore thumb or whatever sticks out. Like Jack Ma. Do you remember Jack Ma? Alibaba, AliExpress, that guy? Okay. He was, like, the richest, the richest man in China. Billionaire for starting Alibaba. And I don't, I don't even think he had, like, political aspirations, as far as I recall. Um, he was just really wealthy and getting a real presence on, like, the world stage. Like, oh, let's, let's go to Jack Ma and see what Jack Ma has to say about this, right? Like, as far as political co- or as far as world commentary is concerned. And all of a sudden, they ghosted him. They just, he just disappeared for, like, three weeks. No one knew what happened. Jack Ma was just gone. Right. <laughs> and not, not surprising. <laughs> right. Well, not, you're right. Not surprising. But like, what the hell? It's, he, wasn't, he wasn't talking bad about the Chinese party. He wasn't like bashing communism every chance he got. He just was really wealthy uh, under the Chinese system. And like, they, they ghosted him. They black bagged him. They did whatever. He was gone for three weeks suddenly resurfaced and i think they like nationalized uh part if not all of his business i just went okay this is you did so well jack ma you know making yourself a billionaire we're just gonna take it all now you know and there was there was like no fight no resistance no pushback at least in any of the you know mainstream media articles um that i happened across about it it was just that's just that's just what it was Mm -hmm. you know so they they make examples out of high profile individuals um, as a means to suppress that you know uh, people's uprising, <clears throat> right? Like I'm not I am not the peaceful guy. We've covered this enough times, right? But what I'm uh, what I'm aware of is like the chilling effect whenever the um, the idea of a true armed resistance comes about, right? Like I, I am never going to get with a group of people um, and, and plan any sort of nonsense like kidnapping the governor of Michigan or any of that bullshit, right? Like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm beyond my fighting years at this point physically, uh, but even so, right, there's, there's the chilling effect of as, as if you're talking to more than two people, if there's more than two people in your conversation uh, and you're talking about these things, like one of them is FBI plant, <laughs> right? So we, we played the game, spot the Fed. Who is it? <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to share details here, but part of... Uh, the one going, we have to go in the building. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that was a large group of people, right? Like uh, with with Free Talk Live, the the radio show that I you know host now on Saturdays. Once I'm done here, um, there was an informer. The I'm not going to say his name. Um, you know, I'll, if you want to know, I'll tell you like off air, MC. But he was like he was a well known activist and had been for years here. He was like an early mover of the Free State Project. Did a lot of activist work, and somehow like got taken got turned and became like the fbi's inside informant on the goings on of free talk live and again you would never have suspected him because it's not like he was planted here from the beginning with this specific task in mind he got turned at some point sure 
And so they, they had an inside ban, uh, you know, feeding back information on all the goings on a free talk live pre raid. Right. So any, and, and why would they necessarily need to do that? Can't they just listen to the radio show? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's part of it. You know, we, we try to be as vocal and open about stuff on the radio show. Like, there's, we, there's not much, there's not much to hide. And knowing that <laughs> we know that whatever we say in the studio, they're listening to, right? We just, we just don't care. Yeah. Hello, <laughs> Mr. FBI agent. <laughs> um, but whatever. But my point is, like, they they had an infiltrator. They they found someone. They turned them. They had them. They had an infiltrator. So any sort of freedom-minded community, right? That's anti-government, anti-state. You know, whatever that other list was. If you were a supporter of Ron Paul, you were you know the uh, domestic terrorist in the eyes of the federal government. Like that. That was on the list. Right, that they have a plant in your community, and you don't know who it is. Right, so now you can't plan any sort of resistance. All you can do is talk about it. Right, shake your fist at it. Go vote harder at the next election. But any any sort of like true resistance, you can't do anything with it because they're there and they'll hang you out to dry. Right, they you know when when there were the. Um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protest and the alt-right and all that other nonsense that went down, like, there were infiltrators. And amazingly enough, you know, n- no one from the left, right, is, is on the hook for anything. Like, every, everyone, at, everyone of those, at those protests um, that got arrested, you know, the January 6th, they held the door open for them, right, was, was all um, right-leaning conservative members of the, of the population, like Antifa goes there and burns down buildings, you know, peaceful protest. The other side gets invited into the Capitol, gets the door held open for him, and everyone's being arrested, you know, over the next few years and tried and overly sentenced for treason or whatever they're trying to hang on them. Insurrection. So there's definitely a left-right paradigm to that. But again, there's no, you know, the people's uprising in China is just as likely as the people's uprising here uh, because they, the, the government spies on them worse there. And there's, you know, what are you going to do? You can't organize. You can't or It has to be so spontaneous that it just happens all at once. And I don't, I don't foresee that here or there where, where everyone just gets fed up to the point of, nope, we're taking it back all at the same time without organization so we'll see the communist government will stay there the american government will stay here uh we got time for one more article if you want to sure did you have another one you liked no all right let's see here let's do this one since i'm in new hampshire excuse me new hampshire's lesson for america New Hampshire may be a st- small state in New England, but it offers a big lesson for America. That lesson is the best way to keep your freedom is to never lose it in the first place. And once you've ensured that, to whittle down the remaining barriers to liberty and opportunity. Uh, look what happened in Connecticut, formerly a haven for tax refugees from New York. The Constitution state adopted an income tax in 1991 and is now one of the highest tax states in the country. By the same token, when former, formerly pro-big government states elect conservative governments, they often try to make changes, then find out how difficult it is to do. For example, Kansas saw government growth for decades, particularly in the mid-90s and mid-2000s. 
In the last decade, when the Kansas legislature tried to turn things around by putting income taxes on a path to zero, it ran into a political buzzsaw of opposition, compromising all the interest groups who've benefited from government largesse. Leaders could also have done more to better structure tax cuts and cut spending up front to avoid deficits. It remains to be seen what will happen in North Carolina, where the legislature has enacted a gradual phase-out of the business income tax. For many years, North Carolina was a relatively high-tax state, and it's been difficult even for committed lawmakers to make more than a small dent in that burden. Meanwhile, New Hampshire scores at the top of the freedom indices, not just because of its recent reforms, but because its leadership has resisted efforts to adopt big sources of new revenue. A broad-based income or sales tax is politically taboo in New Hampshire, and the absence of these taxes has kept the temptation of easy revenue out of the hands of the legislature. That's not to say New Hampshire has faced no danger. The state very nearly adopted an income on sales or sales tax in 2001 in the wake of Supreme Court's decisions that forced the state to provide more local funding to local public schools. The tax increases that happened then, coupled with new government regulations in the late 2000s, knocked New Hampshire out of its first place spot in the Cato Institute's freedom ranking. But since 2014, the Granite State has come roaring back. This year, for the first time, New Hampshire has not only scored first, but also put clear water between itself and every other state. So what has New Hampshire been doing right? First, the state has gradually and responsibly cut growth impeding taxes, such as small business taxes and the interest and dividends tax, which it began to phase out. Since these tax cuts began in 2015, New Hampshire's economic growth rate has powered ahead of its closely connected neighbor, Massachusetts. Second, the state has mostly kept school funding local, which tends to make educational decisions more fiscally responsible. Property owners have more direct leverage and choice over their local property taxes than do state taxes. Third, the state is trying to solve its housing shortage, which it shares with most other northeastern states. Local zoning has strangled housing construction, and the state has stepped in with a law requiring towns to allow accessory dwelling units, in-law apartments, expedited local permitting, and a housing appeals board to provide quick resolution of zoning disputes. Fourth, the legislature has expanded personal freedom for its citizens, most notably with the education freedom accounts. The state's per-student adequacy grant to local districts is now available for parents to cover educational expenses outside the public school system. Finally, the state has been getting rid of cronyist regulations in order to increase competition and opportunities in the marketplace. Some small barriers to starting businesses have been repealed, and the governor signed universal licensing reciprocity this year. That was a big one. Uh, The consequences of all this reform has been economic growth and a growing number of people who want to make New Hampshire their home. New Hampshire is outpacing every other state in the region. It has the highest real personal income growth rate in New England since the Great Recession of 2008. All three southern New England states have been losing workers and taxpayers to the rest of the country, while New Hampshire has been gaining. New Hampshire's population also recently passed Maine for the first time in 200 years. The Cato Institute study shows that increases in growth Follow increases in economic freedom, and Americans are moving from states with less economic and personal freedoms to states with more. Free market reforms can pay off, but states must make them sustainable for the long term. One of the most important lessons is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Never give government tools it will be tempted to abuse in the first place. Uh, End of the article. Does that... Make you want to move even more, MC? Because I'm already here. You've been you've been dilly dallying. 
hanging out in Hawaii for the weather and hot chicks. Maybe. Um, I've been I've been looking at Montana because I just recently went through there, and uh, Kalispell is really attractive to me. Um, okay. But uh, both places are really expensive. Um, property taxes higher in New Hampshire. Yeah, that's um, one. That's one. The article won't mention because it's like the highest in the nation. And I and it wouldn't be a big deal except if I moved to New Hampshire, I want a big house. It's okay living in Hawaii in a small house because okay, you can have the windows open all the time, and uh, there's there's plenty to do. You know, hiking or a beach or city life or you know, yep. whatever it's all right here so it's it's uh it's kind of worth it if you if you have to go small uh and still be in hawaii kind of worth it um if i was in montana i'd probably be indoors for six months out of the year because <laughs> it's freaking cold yep <laughs> um well, in, in new hampshire probably as well i'm guessing so i will say this i mean if you're if you know if you're really considering the move um the the property tax rates in aggregate are higher than anywhere else in the country. However, there are low property tax areas um, that have less government services. Sure. Right. So I was I was talking to uh, the captain last week. He's like, you know, I'm in the town of like Walpole, and like Walpole, uh, they don't have those like you know trash bins. That the trash truck comes by and like scoops up, you know, you know, you, mm-hmm. how you put out your trash in Hawaii. Sure. Like they don't have that. What they have are Walpole bags, and you've got to go down to like the supermarket or Home Depot and buy a box of Walpole bags, and the city of Walpole will swing by and only pick up trash that are in these Walpole bags, and that entire operation is funded through the purchase of Walpole bags. You know, nice. So like, and it's like two bucks a bag, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's aggregated by how much trash you throw out, or you go take it to the town dump and pay the dump fee or whatever. But mm-hmm. if you can fit it in a Walpole bag, you know that bag costs two bucks, and that's how much they charge to pick up that piece of trash. Hmm. Cool. And you know, like I said, the other the, the more rural you get, the further north you go, especially if you not you know don't need a a job or an income source or working remote. Um, the further north you go the more likelihood is you're going to be in a low tax area and you're not going to have to worry about that super high, um, super high property tax. And, you know, like one of the high tax areas is keen, um, because it's a left leaning city, but it's Hmm. also a small city with a whole bunch of these outskirt towns around it that have significantly lower property tax. So you have like city access with a little bit of a drive, um, but lower taxes on the outskirts. So if you get, if you get serious, I would look into that. Now, as far as Montana is concerned, um, <clears throat> if you want to be like a friend of the free state, uh, like my my car my cars are registered in Montana, and mm-hmm. the guy who was doing that like folded up shop. Right? Oh. well, aw, but <laughs> but if we had a friend of the free state in Montana, right, to to go through the process of setting up the LLCs and setting up the trusts for us here. If you happen to land in Montana, right, there's not an abundance of work to be done, so it's not like it's going to burden you with a full-time job, um, but it could it could be helpful activism, um, as it were. There's a bunch of online places that do it, but, you know, always looking to work with someone within the Liberty community is always a good place to start. 
Right on. Final thoughts? No. All right, that'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. <laughs>